to you about over the next week or two, and hopefully I will, I will get through today, but uh, I, I doubt it. But I want to deal with this understanding, and you could call it worship, you could call it life, you could call it uh, understanding which mountain you want to live on. There are several different ways we could describe this. But being on the right mountain, living life from the right mountain. And as we jump into this, I want to, to hopefully get you past some of the things that is holding back society because the church is holding it back. It's not that the world is holding it back, it's that the church is holding it back. And I'll explain this as we jump into this. Go with me first to John, the fourth chapter. John 4, verses 19 through 26. This will be our, our starting point of what I want to show you. This is the story of the lady who is at the well, who is drawing water. Her life is in disarray. She, she has some understanding of Scripture as far as worship, and, but she doesn't grasp it correctly. And this is the conversation that Jesus and her have. And I want you to realize that what's unique about this is the fact that when they begin the conversation, and as it moves forward, worship becomes the key component to her change. Look at the person beside you and say, worship becomes the key component to her change. This is, this is important because we always said, oh, if you had a bucket, I'd draw, but you don't have no bucket, and how are you going to draw? So, so understand this mindset that is taking place. So here we go. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What Jesus has just told her in the middle of their conversation is that you're living with someone you're not married to. You've been married five times, and I understand that this is who you are, and this is where you're at. Now, you would think that that would cause her to say, oh, I'm going to fall on my face. You mean you're, you're, because she says emphatically, I perceive that you are a what? A prophet. I understand that you are a prophet. You are a man of God. You are, you are sent by God. You are anointed by God. You are, but this does not move her. It only moves her to greater questions. It only moves her to more important questions. And here's what it says. Our fathers did what? Now, it's amazing how she jumps from he just told her who she is to now she jumps strictly into worship. But not really because worship is the ultimate end game of our life. Correct worship is the most powerful thing we will ever establish in our life. So I hope as I teach you this, you you learn a lot. But here's what she says. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. Here's what Jesus says. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So he describes two different mountains. And he says, on neither one of those mountains are you ever going to truly worship. There's coming a day that not on this mountain that you're on, nor on the mountain at Jerusalem will true worship take place. Here's what he says. You worship what you do not know. 
You don't have a true understanding of worship. And he says, we know what we worship. We understand that through David, through Abraham, through all of the past, we have our worship given to us. And he says, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Through the Jewish people, salvation will arrive. Through the Jewish people, salvation will come. But the hour is coming. Okay, so we know these two mountains are not the mountains that God calls us to. These two mountains are not the mountains that God says we worship. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to do what? To worship Him. This is what the Father is doing. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship him. It didn't say it'd be good to worship him. It would be, it would be really, you know, it would help you to worship him this way. He says, and those who worship him must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. There has to be a spiritual side, and then there has to be a truth side, or a, a foundational side, or a limit side, or a ordered side that you have to operate in. Why is this so important, Pastor? Why is this so important in our worship? Why can't we just worship? Well, let me explain to you. Go with me to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. This is going to seem like an odd place to go, but it's very vital. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Because true worship, because notice what Jesus kept saying. He said, God kept, does no, he said, the Father The Father wants you to worship this way. The Father calls you to true worship. The Father decides, this is how I want you to worship. The Father has said, I have set this in motion. So we need to understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, here's what he says in Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is... Look at the person beside you and say, you can go nowhere without authority. You cannot go nowhere without true, having true authority in your life. You need to sit down and figure out who is authority in your life before you ever go anywhere. There are certain things that, that is authority. When I get in my car and I decide to go down the road 90 miles an hour, what am I doing? I'm saying there's no authority. Am I telling the truth or am I lying to myself? I'm lying to myself because what's going to happen, I'm going to get mad. And that's how you know when you break authority, you get mad. I'm mad. I'm mad at so-and-so. I'm mad at this. I'm mad. That's just because you don't like authority. There are certain authorities that are in place. And if I go 90 miles an hour and I get pulled over by the cops and it's like, how come you're picking on me? There's other people driving fast. How come Obey your parents in the Lord for this is Right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long or establish or not be in chaos or not be broken down in your life. Now, this is important because notice what God goes to immediately next. Here's what he says. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of what? 
of the Lord. Why is this so important as part of the teaching when we talk about worship? Because the goal of worship is to get to the Father. The goal of worship is to get into His presence. The goal of worship is to be established. Now here's the key. It operates in two different ways. Now we're finding this out in science today because several years ago, what what science decided was we're going to come out with a new way to raise children. Let me show you in our world what we've done. We've created positive parenting. That's the title. If you you hear people talk about parenting, what's the new thing to do is considered positive parenting. You hear that all the time. You hear it in schools. You hear it from, from psychiatrists. You'll hear it from everybody that's around. And they gave it a definition. Here's what positive parenting is. Positive parenting is the continual relationship of a parent and a child or children which includes caring for them, teaching them, leading them, communicating with them, and providing for the needs of the children consistently and unconditionally. Now, there's two main components to this, and one of them we're having a problem with. Now, that sounds pretty simple right there. Sounds like two distinct things that needs to happen. Go back with me to verse 4 of Ephesians, and we're going to look at this again. Way before science ever decided to study this, way before the University of Connecticut and others did studies on what it is to craze healthy children, and they came up with two main components that needs to be had. There needs to be sincere love, and there needs to be consistent rules. These are the two things that they found out. When those are in place, children are grow healthily. Doesn't matter about much of anything else. If you have that within the confines of a parenting situation. Now, listen to me. It sounds an awful lot like what God says when you want to be a child. And you want to be a parent. He says, listen, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Let me give you some of the words that they use in this study. So, and this is unique because the committee of ministers of the Council of Europe is the one who came up with some of this list. That these definitions combine the positive parenting literature, suggestive following that you need to do to be a good parent. Now listen to me. It involves guiding, leading, teaching, Caring, empowering, nurturing, sensitive to a child's needs. It is to be consistent. It is to provide regular open communication. It is to provide uh, affection. It is to provide emotional security, emotional warmth, unconditional love. It recognizes the positive. It respects the child's developmental stage. It rewards accomplishments. It sets boundaries. It shows an empathy for the child's feelings. Now, I left out one. Because in our culture of doing this, all of those, those positive things we enjoy. As long as what you're doing for me is positive, I like it. As long as I'm getting a trophy for playing, I like it. As long as you're patting me on the back all the time, I like it. As long as you're telling me I'm doing good, I like it. As long as you're, we, we are in a society now that has been raised in a generation of positive parenting. 
But the two things that they left out, one, they alluded to it, and it just simply says, it sets boundaries. Now, here's the problem with boundaries. How am I going to establish boundaries and hold people to boundaries? That's what we run into these big cities. How are we going to say there's a law that says you can't tear up things? But then if a hundred kids want to run through town and destroy cars, we just step back and say, because the problem with positive parenting in our modern culture also has one flaw in it. And here's the flaw. It also is always non-violent. Look at the person beside you and say, we need a God and a religion that's non-violent. That's what we look for. We, we like all the other stuff. It's fine. And we want to get to God and we want to worship God. And we want to love God and we want to have all this wonderful. And we went through four weeks of camp with God. And we went through all these wonderful altar services. And, and we're having all this stuff going on. And all of it is wonderful. The problem is, is that the moment it becomes violent in any way, the moment it becomes boundary in any way, now within three to four weeks, most of the kids and a lot of the people that were all excited at the time are going to come back from that, go back into a different way. Why? Because I don't want the violence side of God. And it's the church that has opened the door for the world. It is our acceptance that this is who God is. I love the story we were using a while ago during altar, the prodigal son. That is a powerful story. The son goes back to the father. And what do we always focus on? The reaction of the who? The father. And what does he do? I love you. It's all good. But we fail to remember the reaction of the son. The son is in a pig pen and the son says, I'll go back to my father's house and I'll do what? I'll become a servant. You know what he remembered about his dad? His dad had rules. And his dad did things a certain way. And his dad didn't just take him back and just pat him on the head and say, it's all right, it'll be better next time. No, no, it was a mixture of the two that made his son come to the humility that he needed to come to. Without the humility coming back to the father, he would have come arrogantly like, well, God, I, I, you know, father, I decided to come on back home. That's not the way he came home. He came home, father, I don't deserve to be called your son. I, you're an awesome dad. You're a powerful dad. You're an awesome leader. You're a great man. I don't deserve to be in your presence and but but the father then reacting to both sides says yes I am that but I'm also loving on the other side and when you combine the two you have a true picture of the God that you're serving don't tell me you love God if you ain't gonna pay your tithes don't get me here and I ain't talking about pay your tithes by like an old man used to tell me years ago, he said, the pastor, I don't pay my tithes, you know, like put it in the offering the way everybody else does and give it to tithes. He said, I, you know, I buy groceries sometimes, I do this, I feed people. And I said, you're a thief. 
His eyes got real. I said, you're a thief. I said, you can't put it in women's ministry, kids' ministry. This You can't cook for old people. The tithe belongs to the church. You write a check for what your tenth is, you put it in the church. Now, if you want to write an offering check and you want to give tenth above what you gave an offering, knock yourself out. Give $100,000. Give $10,000. Give what you want. But your tithes don't belong to you. You understand, what we want to do in God is we want to have this loving God that understands understands me but has no power over me I do what I want to I can be mad at who I want to I can act the way I want to stick my lip out if I want to y'all just bear with me That's the reason in America, our churches, which pro into our families, which pro into our society, are having a problem. I don't blame the world. We're the one that God gave us the model in Ephesians 2,000 years ago. Raise those children in two things. Have rules and have love. Because when they meet their heavenly father, there's going to be rules And there's going to be love. Here's what he says. Nurture. Let me just explain this to you. Nurture literally means support. When I nurture something, I'm supporting it. I'm encouraged. We're going to, hey, we're going to make it. We're going to get. It's nurturing. It's support. It equals love. But here's the thing. When we talk about admonition, that equals control. So what I'm teaching my child is, yes, I love you. But I also have control. Yes, I love you, but there are also limits. Now, here's the key. Maybe you know somebody like this. If you give too much nurture and hold back on admonition, just like I talked about our society, if you give nurture and support and love, but you don't have admonition, let me tell you what our society will be. Self-centered. Is it good for me? Is it important for me? Is it something I want to do? I don't care about doing that. Hey, we got a cleanup day at the church. Let everybody else do that. I'm not doing that. That ain't what I want to do. You become self-centered in your life. Well, let's just say if you were one of those churches that, man, I'm telling you, hell and brimstone and, and you're going to die and go to hell if you don't. If, if, I, if, if, if you or me or any church decides, boy, we're going we're gonna to be really heavy on, and I can carry you to places that are really heavy on how you got to do it. May not get loved on very much, but buddy, they're going to tell you the truth. If you have admonition, which is control, we're going to control you. We're going to tell you how to dress and act and walk and talk and act. And you set all these limits then you have a rebellion. And so what we have in society right now, in our open society, is we have parents who do not want to balance those things out. They're either trying to just say, just do what I tell you, and they raise rebellious children, or they just want to love them and give them whatever they want every time they want something, and they end up getting surprised one day when that child is self-centered and doesn't care about you. You're like, what are you going to, you know, when I get old, I I might come live with you. I might, no, I'm sticking you in a nursing home. What? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, me and, me and my brother and sister, we don't talked about it. We ain't, we, ain't have, we ain't putting up with you. You give them all they want, let me tell you what, you end up with self-centered. You give them too many rules and no love, and they'll rebel against you. Now, this is important because this is also how God teaches worship. Is it making more sense now? Good. God describes the worship as three mountains. Now, the first mountain, we have to go all the way back in our Bibles and go with me to Exodus. Exodus 19. And God has taken the children of Israel and He has brought them to the first mountain that He needs them to see. And the first mountain that He needs them to see, the first mountain that He needs you to understand as a child, the first thing is, is a parent, you don't give them ice cream every time they want ice cream. The first thing you do as a parent, you establish limits. You had better take them to the first mountain, and the first mountain is this is the how we act. If you do this, you're not going to get what you think. And Israel coming out was this children that God said, bring them to Mount Sinai because what I want to do is I want to create with them a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of people who represent me on the earth. And they're my children, and I'm going to teach them. And the first thing I need to do is to show them this is how I talk, and this is how I walk, and this is how I act. Part of being a parent and part of teaching in life is where that child is with you, and you tell them, we don't lie. We don't steal. We don't do this. We don't talk about people. We don't act this way. We don't act... Do you understand what I'm saying? So when he carries them to Mount Sinai, what he's carrying them to is the first mountain of worship. The first mountain of worship that he's brought them to. And he says, this isn't the final mountain, but this is the first mountain. And here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today. And tomorrow let them wash their clothes. And let them get ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai and in the sight of all the people. In other words, I'm going to represent myself. I'm going to tell them who I am. I'm going to show them who I am. I'm going to walk into their presence and they're going to know me. They're going to know me. Verse 19. Here's what it says. Or verse 16, my bad. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Boy, God showed up with ice cream and popsicles and said, I, I don't want to scare these people. I don't want to. I, I want them to like me. I, no, no. No, no, no. The first way you meet God, if you ever meet God, some of you have heard about God, like God, but you ain't ever met God. If you ever meet God, that's the way you're going to meet Him. Because it has to start here. You can't meet Him any other way. That's why I'm not a big VBS person. I love it for kids. We get them together and we get to play games and teach them about the love of Jesus and all this stuff. But I'm not a big VBS person. If you do VBS, wonderful. There's nothing wrong with it. 
But I'm telling you, you're introducing God in a way that will have to be corrected in the future. Because as a little child, you want God to be liked and you want to tell them the story. And it's funny how we tell the stories. Think about it. We build a whole ark and do a VBS about Noah's ark. Do you know what the story of Noah's ark is? It's where God kills everything that lives on the earth. And it's about these wonderful people. And they just get on a boat. And God just all of a sudden just lets the animals march on two by two. And, 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 and man, it's so wonderful. And God closes the door. And the rain just starts trickling down. And man, they float around for a while until it's time. No, there are people swimming until they can't swim. They hold on to logs until they can't hold on. And they drown. There are animals crying. Things hitting against the ark. Let us in. Let us in. Let us in. No, we can't. It's too late. You're going to die. That's the story of Noah's Ark. Tell that on VBS and see how it goes for you. Kids, God killed everything. And every time you see a rainbow, it is not about the LBGDQ or whatever plus community. When you see a rainbow, it's God promising that he ain't ever going to kill everything again that way. Oh, let me preach just a little. Just just a little. I, I don't... I don't have to preach a lot, but just let me preach a little. So what happens in your life? Same thing that happened to them. They were, let's go meet this God. Oh, yeah. Let's go meet this God. And you think about them introducing God to their children. Jeremy, imagine your kids are getting up that morning. They done took baths, done got their clean clothes on. They're fixing to go meet God. And they're like, Dad, what are we doing? We're fixed to go meet God. Well, what's God like? Well, I mean, all I know is that when we were back over here a while back, he killed every firstborn of that Egypt. What? Yeah, every cattle. Them Egyptians wouldn't let us go. God sent frogs in their lives. They had frogs in their bed, frogs in their pajamas, frogs in their house. He sent lice. He turned the water that they had into blood. You ready to go meet God, Junior? Dad. See, I think we get, these, we get these stories because we get half a story. And we love the love side where God is all googly bumped. And, 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 but we miss the other side that has to come first. Therefore, most of our salvations are useless. Because they're only built on a God that loves us. And if he quit doing things for us and stops treating us good, we're going to quit him. Come on, most of you in this room, if God took something away, if you had cancer tomorrow, I can't believe God let that happen to my wife, my kid. I I don't think I'm going back to church. I tried it. It didn't. You just had half the story to begin with. He is God. And he introduces himself as God. And so all of a sudden they start walking toward this mountain. And God says, oh, by the way, put a boundary around this mountain because if any of y'all touch this mountain, you'll die. Because I'm going to put my foot on it. What? Yeah, I'm going to put my foot on this mountain and, and until I tell you, don't you come near it. Don't come be bopping up this mountain thinking you're just going to come up to me. 
Moses says, hey, ho, ho, wait, let's wait. And the Bible says as God started to draw near it and starts to about to put his foot on it, a thick cloud, the earth itself starts to say, mm, can't take this. God is coming. And the mountain starts shaking. And it says God is coming. And lightning starts flying. You know what? Light, lightnings, the speed of lightning, the power of lightning, all of those things that take place, it gets hotter than the sun when a lightning bolt takes shape. When negative hits positive, all of a sudden, understand that the rumblings of the mountain and the lightnings and the thunders and all the stuff that's terrorizing them is not even God. Understand, it's not God. That's just the reaction of being in the presence of God. But Job would say later, he said, what shall I do when God rises up and visits me who mountains melt before? In other words, if God gets too close to it, it'll just shatter into pieces. It can't stand being in the presence of God. It can't handle a rock. Bible says, Jesus said, if you didn't worship me, be in my presence, coming close enough, the rocks would start rattling and beating together and worship me. Understand my presence is what mostly you see. You're not seeing my power. You're seeing the reaction to my power. When you see a hurricane or a tornado, you're not seeing God's power like the wrath of God. I think the wrath of God, that's just stuff God made in a day and told it to stay where it is. Moons and oceans, it's not his power. That's just stuff he created. And by his very word, you stay where you are. That's his power. You getting it? They were going to meet God. The Bible says that when they drew close, and all of a sudden a voice started coming out of the mountain. Come on up. The Bible says they did this. Just like most of you. It's amazing how you got to go to the bathroom about midway through church. It's amazing when altar call is there. It's time to leave. Hey, we got to hurry up and get out of here. Let me tell you what happens when you start getting close to God. It'll show itself real easy around everybody else because you will be the first one that's not in there praying, seeking, doing. You'll be the first one. It's like, well, we, we got to get to. Because let me tell you what the presence of God is all about. Meeting God on Mount Sinai is all about you realizing you're not it. You're a sinner. You ain't that good. See, one of the positive parenting things that I didn't share with you was that positive parenting believes that every child is born good. Mount Sinai shows you that everybody born was born bad. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
all have missed the mark. All of our righteousness is like filth. Don't tell me what you do for God is filthy. Don't tell me what you do for God. Don't tell me your title. Don't tell me you're this, you're that. It's filthy. It don't mean nothing. Because Mount Sinai, when you go to Mount Sinai, when you take a trip to Mount Sinai every now and the only thing that's left is that I fall short. That I fail. Mount Sinai is the first mountain that each of us have to cross. And in the Old Testament, leading up to Jesus, it's the only mountain they knew. If you want to get to God, you got to be... You got you to not comb your hair on Saturday. If you want to get to God, you you got to you got to do this and fast a day or two. You, if you want to get to God, you got to do this. And all of these things was only to show you. All the law is to show you that you're not adequate. That's all it shows you. God knew those people wasn't going to come up that mountain. God knew that the moment He got close to them, it scared them to death. He knew it. He didn't change his plan. He still wanted a kingdom of priests. And he still wanted a kingdom on this earth. He just knew he couldn't do it this way. So we go to the second mountain. This is the one we all like. This is Mount Calvary. What we couldn't do, Jesus took upon himself and did for us. Mount Calvary is the place where God shows His love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's moving from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary. That's why we buy crosses and chains. Because and... we like Mount Calvary. That while we were yet sinners, He died for us. While we were lost, He loved us. Mount Calvary is the place. I don't have to teach here long, do I? But in our society, this is the place we like. We preach grace, and we preach grace, and we preach grace. And we, we try to show God in the most loving, innocent, even if it's Noah's Ark, we try to show it in the most easiest, calmest, beautiful picture we can. We don't want nobody scared. We don't want nobody upset. We don't want nobody to get the wrong opinion. If you don't pass by Mount Sinai, then you'll never have the humility to come to the cross. You'll only pass by the cross like everybody else does. You'll be thankful that he did what he did, and hey, but you won't understand what he did. Mount Calvary can only be attained by passing by Mount Sinai. Paul would later say, I had not known without the law. He said, I hate the law. Why did Paul hate the law? He said, I hate the law because if I had not known the law, I wouldn't have known what I was doing wrong and I wouldn't be held accountable. Why do I hate nudity? Why do I hate cussing? Why do I hate GD? Why do I hate... Because at some time, somebody told me, and in my spirit, the spirit says, that's not good. But if nobody had ever told me and nobody had ever said it, I would be blameless. 
But what got me in trouble is the fact that I know it was wrong. That's Mount Sinai. When you know something's wrong, you're taking a trip back to Mount Sinai. Reminding you. But God says, don't stay there. You won't find what you're looking for there. Well, I'll go to Calvary and I'll find it at Calvary. You, you won't find it at Calvary. Calvary's a wonderful place to go to. I've been there. Thankful for Calvary. I will glory in Calvary for what Jesus did that I could not do. But that's not what Jesus said. Notice what Jesus says to the woman. He says, there's coming a day when you won't worship here on this mountain and you won't worship in Jerusalem. Where did the Calvary crucifixion all take place? In Jerusalem. He said, but there's coming a day when there was going to be true worshipers that are going to rise and true worshipers that are going to seek after the Father. Go with me to Hebrews 12, and I'll carry you to your, your mountain. Look at the person beside you and say, this is your mountain. I may get through with this thing. It's good. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire. What mountain was that? Sinai. And the blackness and the darkness and the tempest. He said, God has not invited you to that mountain. That's not the mountain that you are supposed to stay at. It's not the mountain Jesus and the Father has called you to. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Because at Mount Sinai, every time you preach at me that way, it just convicts me. It just condemns me. It makes me feel bad. He said, that's not the mountain you were called to. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Not just the children of Israel, but Moses himself, who was someone who talked with God, said, if I stay at this mountain, it scares me to death. Let me tell you, when you go to churches or, or people who build up that rules and limits, and let me tell you what you're going to find in that group. Fear. Always afraid I'm not doing enough. I haven't done enough. I'm doing better than you, so I must be a good person. It's always a fear of what I'm not accomplishing. You raise children with that mindset that there's always a fear. I'm never doing enough for my dad. I never could please him. I never he, he put all these rules and all these laws, and I felt like every day of my life, I just couldn't make him happy. I, every time I did something, he said, well, that wasn't very good. You messed it up. If, if that was the way I raised my children, they're going to rebel. I want to tell you something that will surprise you. God was not surprised by Israel's rebellion over and over and over. We make it sound like oh, the children of Israel went back and built a golden calf. The children of Israel went back and... God wasn't surprised by that. God knew that if I only give them the laws, it will only make them rebel. And if I only give you Calvary... You'll keep sinning and ask for more grace. 
So what? But you have come to... You need to write that one down. But you... Every one of you in this room have been brought to Mount Zion. I don't think Pastor Lot's come up with some new theology. This is not new theology. This is, this is in your Bible. But you, say it to him again, you have been brought to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Oh, because Jesus tells her, he says, there's coming a day. When those that worship the Father the way He wants to worship will worship them in spirit and in truth. True worshipers must come to God realizing nothing of this world is important, only spirit. And nothing that this world says or believes or tells us it is, if it's contrary to truth, then it is a lie. And to worship God, you come to his mountain, to come into his tabernacle, into his presence. You must come in this presence. You must come through Mount Sinai where my sins have been revealed. I must come by Calvary where my sins have been forgiven. And I must come to Mount Zion where I sit and I live the life that I was intended to live. Let me, let me see if I can show it to you. But you have come to Mount Zion, a city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of... So you are surrounded by... You need to write these things down. You need to know what you're in, in, in the middle of. Because at Calvary, you're just crying, telling God you're sorry for what you did. At Sinai, you're just sad for what you did. But when I get to Zion, I get up in the morning and realize I'm surrounded by angels <laughs> I'm surrounded by the heavenly host I, what do you mean well let me show you verse verse 23 to the general assembly and the church of the, so, so what am I a part of? Am I a Methodist, a Baptist? Am I, no, look, look you want to get to where you're supposed to be, you got to get that junk out of your head. You got to get that junk out of your head. Here's what you are. Somebody ever asked you, what church you belong to? I belong to the church of the firstborn. What? Yeah, I'm part of the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Who are, <laughs> I got, when I walk in, well, that's Tim Lott. He's a member of the General Assembly of the Church of the Firstborn. Now, uh, I'm happy. I'm going to take you a little further. Come on now. Get your brains. Take them in. I'm going to take you further than you've been. Some of y'all think y'all been places. I'm going to carry you a little further. To the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered to God, the judge of all. So when people say, Berlach, you don't get frustrated, you don't get upset. That's because I know I'm part of a family, I'm part of a church. And the director and the pastor and the leader of that church judges everything. He said, Tim, I got it all. I take care of everything. And to the spirits of just men made, notice that now, and to the spirits of just men 
made perfect. Let's go a little further. Verse 24. To Jesus, the mediator of the new and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of the blood that Jesus has sprinkled throughout the altars of that church. Wherever you go, if you go to the altar, it's Jesus' blood on it. If you sit in a chair, Jesus' blood is there. If you start to pray, Jesus' blood is there. It, it, it's, it's sprinkled all over the place on the mercy seat. Every part of that church has nothing but the sprinkling, which is more powerful than any blood, that even more powerful than Abel's, more powerful than any blood that has ever been shed. And Abel's blood has been crying out since the earth nearly began. And Jesus is still more powerful. Let's go a little further. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if you do not escape who refuses him who who spoke on earth, much more shall you not escape if you turn away from him who speaks from from heaven. All right, let me show it to you again. So understand it this way. Worship in heaven is simply this. Jesus is the head and he is in heaven. We are the body, and we are where? On earth. We are connected. The head and the body are connected so that ministry can be done. That's why we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, thy will be on earth as it is in how do you think that's going to happen? It has to happen through the church. It has to happen through us. It has to happen through, that is the hill that we live on. That is the mountain that I reside on. That I am the embodiment of the church in heaven on earth. I am the embodiment. If you say, boy, I wish I could get to heaven, just hang around me. All you got to do is hang around me. How do you think all this stuff has happened over all these years? Because heaven came to in forest, Mississippi. You can't do it in forest. God can do it anywhere. He owns it all. If God wants to build a camp where thousands of kids come and end up with a t-shirt that says forest, Mississippi, that is all God's. I think he does it just to show out. First 10 years here, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, you know, forest, we ain't got much. You know, forest, you know, ain't nothing there. And forest, you know, it's just, just, and then now here, 20 something, 30 years later, now people walking around all over the state of Mississippi. You went to forest, Mississippi? I hear they got a camp down there. See, God does that. He just needs a conduit in the Spirit to bring it to pass. Let me do this and I'm going to close it, okay? As far as I'm getting. So his head is in heaven, which is Christ. His body is on earth, which is the church. Now you've got to understand this. It's very important. No one has ever seen God. Go with me in your Bibles to John 6 and 46. John 6 and 46. So if we're going to understand the worship in this mountain, we've got to understand it this way. Not that anyone has seen the Father except Him who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
So everything that anybody's ever saw of God has never been God. The burning bush, God shows up in a form. A rainbow, God shows up in, a, in, in fire and, and cloud, a pillar of fire or a cloud by night, God shows up. But it's never the true image of God. No one has ever seen God. Go with me in your Bibles to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 12. I want to show you something. Who being in the form of... So Jesus, before He came to earth, was in the form of... Which no one has ever... Considered it robbery to be equal with God, because it did not consider it to eat robbery, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the... The what? The form. Look at the person beside you say, the form of a servant. i got to finish this today, is that okay? Because I can't stop right here, or you'll be lost. Who being made, made himself no being in the form of, and coming in the likeness of. So look at the person beside you and say, Jesus wasn't who he, he looked like. When Jesus came to earth to fulfill Mount Calvary, you did not see him. That's why he tells you don't, don't do images, don't do all this stuff, don't paint pictures of Jesus, because all you ever saw on earth was the form that God created to fulfill Calvary. If you get stuck at Calvary, all you see is Jesus dying, and all you see is the pain, the resurrection, and you see all this guy. But all of this is still the form that is not the true Christ. But made himself no reputation, taking on the likeness of men. Verse 8. Let me run. And being found in the appearance. And notice how, how the apostle keeps dragging this through. Like, listen to me. You have not seen him. You saw a form. Just like in the Old Testament, you saw God as a form. God was a bush. God was a fire. God was a pillar. God was all this. But that was not God. In the New Testament, well, we saw Jesus. No, you did not see Jesus. You saw the form that was put on earth, that was covered in flesh, that was built as a servant, built in humility to fulfill the mission that he was sent to fulfill. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Christ is to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, do now much more in my absence. Working out your... With what? If I get stuck at Calvary, I can't work out my salvation. 
I have to go back to Sinai and remember who he truly is. Now, how does this work, Brother Lot, in the, in the New Testament? How does this work now? If that wasn't Jesus and Sinai wasn't God, and I don't understand this. Well, that's why we have the book of Revelations. John says, blessed is every man who reads this book. Blessed is every person who can read it. And it's not about the dragons. And it's not about the, the, the serpents and this and, and the bowls and all that. That's, that's just stuff God says you can spend the rest of your life trying to figure out. It's not meant to be figured out. But what you need to know in the blessing is who you are and where you are right now. Because listen to me. Go to Revelations 1, 10 through 20. I want to show it to you. Real fast. Oh, when you finally got to where I want to be. Taking all this to get to where I want to be. So Mount Sinai, Mount Calvary, but I live at Mount Zion. What is Mount Zion? Well, let's look. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. See, that happens to me all the time. I get in the spirit. If you can't get in the Spirit, you need to learn to. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day because it's the only way you're going to get to Mount Zion. Because those that come to worship me must worship me in. And in, let me tell you something. God don't care about your clothes. God don't care what car you drove up in. God don't care how much money you put in the offering plate. The only way you're going to get to God is you must get to Him in spirit and in truth. And if you're not willing to pursue Him in spirit and in truth, there's nothing else you can bring to the table that He cares about. That's what excited that little woman when she ran back into town to tell everybody, I have met the man that has told me all things, and I think he is the Messiah. Because that's what she said, when the Messiah comes, he will reveal all things. And Jesus told her, he said, woman, you met him. You met him. You've met the one that's going to be on Mount Zion. You've met the one that's going to reign and rule. You're going to meet the one whose name is above every name. You've met the one who's going to be over every single thing. Everything on earth and everything under the earth is going to bow to my name. And guess what? We're part of that family. We're part of that group. We're part of that church, the firstborn. So what does it look like? Here's what he says. John, now remember John is the one, oh, I love Jesus and Jesus loved me. And man, we're all buddy-buddy and, and I lay my head on his chest. This John saw Jesus on Mount Zion. And here's what happens. And I was in the spirit of the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. All of a sudden, something rumbling behind me said, John. John's like, ooh, the hair on the back of my neck stood up and something, something wasn't right. Something wasn't the same. And, 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 and saying, I am Alpha and I am the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches that are in Asia. He said, I'm not telling you to hide this. This is what everybody back at home church needs to know. This is what everybody that gets a church service started needs to know. Who am I worshiping today? What am I worshiping today? What am I doing here today? What is this all about today? What is taking place in our presence today? He says to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to all of that, to Philadelphia and to Laosia, keep going. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, he said, he looked kind of like Jesus. But he didn't look like Jesus. He looked kind of like him. But it wasn't him. It wasn't the him I remember. 
It wasn't the him that used to be so humble who people used to spit in his face. And they made fun of him and they plucked his beard. And they killed him. I don't remember him this way. One like unto the Son of Man, clothed now, not with just regular garments, not with, not with just an earthly robe, but clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden brand. And his head and his hair were white like wool. Do you understand when you gathered in here today who you were coming to see? Do you have any idea when you brought your cancer in here and your broken marriage in here and you brought your mess up in here and you brought your last weekend in here, do you understand who you were coming to see? You weren't coming to see Mount Sinai where some preacher tells you how bad you are. You weren't coming in here to hear about some Jesus that died and loved you and, and he loves you and I know it's bad, but just keep knowing God loves you. That's, that's not the Jesus of, of today. His head is, his hair is white like wool, it's white as snow, and his eyes are like a flaming fire. His feet were like fine brass. It looked like somebody had just taken him. His feet had just walked out of a fire. And, and like brass, when you heat it up and it gets orange and real bright and, and, it's, and it's, just, it's just glowing. He said his feet were like that, like, like he's just been walking on fire. Like he's just been walking in fire, but it don't bother him. It don't hurt him. It's okay being in the presence of the Father, walking across the coals of heaven. He's all right. He just walks up and down the coals of heaven. His feet were like fine brass as it refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. It just reverberates. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun. John said, it's kind of like him but I can't even look at him. When I start to look at him, he said, it's like trying to walk outside on the hottest, brightest, sunniest day and try to stare at the sun. He said, he said he was brighter than that. He couldn't look at him. We know this because when Paul saw him on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden when Jesus just popped into reality for just a moment, the brightness was so bright that it blinded Paul immediately. John said, even though I'm in the Spirit, the brightness of him is too much. Verse 17, and when I saw him, I'm the one who loves him, and I'm the one he loves, and I'm the one. But when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. How do you know, Brother Lot, I'm at Mount Zion? Because you ain't got a problem big enough. Here's a man that's been isolated to... The Isle of Patmos been put out there to die. They done tried to boil him in oil and couldn't kill him. And you know, if I was me, I'd be walking up to God. If he'd showed up like that, I'd just say, God, now look, now look at me. I'm bald. I ain't got no hair on me. They done bald, I mean, they done bald me and everything else. And you know, I'm stuck on this island. But he said, no, 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 no. When I, when I got in his presence and I saw him, 
the only thing, the reaction that had could take place in my life was that I fell on my face like I was dead. And he said to me, don't be that Sinai. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's the love. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I live forevermore. Amen. And I have taken the keys of Hades and of death. Write these things you have seen and the things which are the things which will take place after this. He said, I ain't just telling you what I've done. I'm fixing to tell you what I'm going to do. Go with me to chapter 5. Why is this important, Brother Lot? Because John sees another scene. It's the time when he's going to end the world one day. How does the world come to an end? Through Jesus. All power has been given to him. Listen, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Nobody could, nobody could do it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold the, that's the limits. Look at the person beside you said, that's Sinai, the lion of Judah. He said, don't you worry, the lion of Judah is strong enough. Mountains melt before him. Lightnings go before him. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, in the middle of all that's going on. Do you know there's lightnings coming out of the throne room of God? I ain't got time to deal with all that, but the four living creatures, we talk about how they cover their eyes and one wings. These, these four creatures are sitting there. They're powerful. But yet in the middle of all of that, notice what he says. And in the midst of the elders stood a... That's the love. Stood a lamb. He said, the lion will do it. But when I looked, all I saw was a lamb. But the lion will take it. But it's the lamb I see. stood a lamb as though he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which means he perfectly sees, he perfectly reigns, which are the seven spirits of God out into all the earth. There's not one place his presence is not reigning. There's not one hospital his presence doesn't reign. There's not one home his presence. All you have to do is invite him in. Then he came and took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, notice now heaven is this powerful place. When he took the scroll out, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of you. Your prayers 
He can handle it. He is worthy. If you want to know how worship truly works, get this in your head. He is the lion, and he is the lamb, and he reigns from Mount Zion, the spiritual Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And let me give you just something else. Ephesians 2 and 6. This will make you feel good. Here's what it says. And we have been raised up to sit together in where? Those that come to me must come to me in spirit and truth. Go with me to Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. I've come by to tell you today, I don't know what your issue is. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what your circumstance is. But I can tell you how to fix it. It is when you can decide I will worship. And worship is not an emotion. And worship is not jumping. And worship is not preaching or music or anything of that sort. Worship is where I realize where I'm seated. And I'm able in confidence to sit next to him and say, it's all right. It's what Abraham looks at his servants when him and Isaac are at the bottom of the hill. And the first time the word's ever used. And he looks at the two servants and he says, me and the lad go yonder to worship. What was Abraham doing? He said, I'm going to go sit with God. I'm going to sit where I belong. And when we're through, we're going to come back. And whatever we used to be ain't going to be the same anymore. It's going to be better. If you understood that any time there was an altar call given, you would understand that the purpose of it is that I get a chance to go sit with Christ, the one whose eyes are like fire, his hair is white as wool, his feet look like brass that's burning in a fire. He's clothed in a robe and girdle of gold. He stands there and says, I am the Alpha, the Omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'm the all-powerful, the almighty. There's not a problem you've got that's too hard for me. You can come and sit with me. If you choose, will you stand? If you're in this room today, you say, Pastor, I got issues. I got stuff. I got problems. I got worries. I got. Let me just tell you, that's not anything new. As long as we live in this life, we're going to have to wade through them. 
But I was sent by to tell you this. That if you are in this room today. And you have spent too much time at Sinai where it's like, I, you know, I've done so much stuff, Brother Lot. I know God's probably not going to answer my prayer. You know, Brother Lot, I've, I've, I've been so far. And you, if you knew all the stuff I've done, will you leave Sinai? Just leave it. It's only going to make you feel guilty. Well, I'll go to Calvary. Some of you hang out at Calvary. It's like, well, God, you know, he'll, he loves me. He'll do whatever he wants to do. And he'll, you know, I, at least I'm going to go to heaven. Hey, I'm glad you're going to go to heaven. But we got work to do here on earth. I need you to get away from Calvary. I need you to go a little further. I need you to leave the grave. I need you to quit being a mess up every weekend and claiming grace, taking care of you. I need you to grow up. I need you to be a priest. Not to some earthly thing, not to some weak thing, but to the most mighty thing there is on the earth. God's kingdom. I need you to go with me to Calvary. And then I need you to go to me to Zion. And I need us to walk into the presence of God. The Bible says to come boldly into the presence of God because I know my name is in there. I know I'm a member of the church. I know I'm supposed to be here. Come boldly and make your petition known. Come boldly and make your request known. Why? Because I know who I'm asking. I know the King that I'm asking. I know the Christ that I'm asking. I know the Savior that I'm asking. I know the might that He has. I know there's nothing too great for Him. I know there's nothing too big for Him. I know how He looks like. I know where He's at. I know He's where He's sitting. I know he's ready to make intercessory for me and for you. I know that he's called me to say, Tim, come sit with me. Don't sit there. Come give it to me and sit with me until I fix it, son. If you're in this room today, and you, it makes sense now. It's made more sense now than it has in a long time. I need Zion. I need to worship him at Zion. I need to bring like Abraham Isaac to Zion. And I need to know that at Zion, the kingdom of God overwhelms and overpowers and is always victorious. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, I got stuff that I got to bring, it's time to bring my worship. To the one true, true King and Lord. If that's you, I want you to step out. Meet me down here. Let's go to Zion. Let's not just let grace keep bubbling along. Let's not let guilt keep pounding you on the head. Let's step into the residence, the relationship that you were born to have. It's time to move past your guilt. It's time to move past your shame. It's time to move past what people have called you. It's time to move past. You have a different identity. You're not what you used to be. Let me tell you what's going to happen when you get close to Him. You're just going to fall apart in His presence. 
you're just going to fall apart in His presence. You're just going to fall apart. Because when you think you're coming to meet the lion, it's the lamb that's going to put his arms around you. It's the lamb that's going to wrap his arms and say, it's okay. I got you. I know what's going on in your marriage. I know what's going on with your kids. I know what's going on with your friends. I know what's going on at work. I know what's going on. It's okay. I got you. I got you. 